Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. So you want to kind of span tears and laughter? I found a playmate and a crying mate in Stuart Chintenden. He is a British expat living in Omaha, Nebraska. He founded an organization called Squish Talks, which designs and delivers conversation programs for corporations and nonprofits. He's done some really cool creative initiatives. One recently where he was um, sponsored by the Omaha Creative Institute, where he really got in an RV and traveled around for four weeks. He calls it a couple of 830-mile-long conversations, and we talk a little bit about that. And we also talk about how he's doing after the election. Lots more information on his bio, but what I want to say is here's somebody that's going to really bring his laughter and bring his tears about what it means to believe that human connection can actually change our society for the better. But we also talk about some recent moments where he's had doubts, where he's had doubts. And it's a profound moment um, of, of real gravitas and, and quiet. So I can't wait for you to meet Stuart. I, I hope that he will become a new friend um, because we just have a very playful kind of vibe together. And I recently texted him a very funny photograph of a candy wrapper, which maybe if you're lucky, I'll put it in the show notes. Maybe if you're lucky, it's on the edge of inappropriate, but that's kind of the edge that Stuart and I are going to walk you today. Stuart Chintenden from Squish Talks. Okay, guys, I'm really excited to bring you Stuart Chintenden. I just asked Stuart how to say his name, Chintenden, correctly, because he's got a Chindan, Chittenden. Look at the gravitas. He talks funny. Just want to prepare you that Stuart talks funny because he's got this interesting Omaha, Nebraska mixed with English accent. Mm. What part of England are you from? The north or the south? From um, Canterbury, which is in the southeast sort of corner. Southeast. Okay. I've not been to Canterbury. I used to live in college with a fellow from Birmingham. Ah. Yes. He has a very different accent than you do. Very different. Did you understand him? Well, yes, we lived together for several years. I just had to have enough beers to be able to understand him because he drank quite heavily. (laughs) (laughs) So Stuart Chittenden, Chittenden, uh, I've been circling your, I've been kind of circling your wagon for a while. You lead something called Squish Talks and you've done a lot of really interesting, compelling stuff in Nebraska. And we were being quite playful. So I'm already happy to know that I have a, another person that is as wonkily playful as me, because this is serious work that we're doing, getting people to talk to each other across divisions. Tell people a little bit about you and, and 
how you came to do this, to go from brand strategy to facilitating really difficult conversations with people. Like, (laughs) how does that happen? Um, And from England to Nebraska, of all places. Give me the whole rundown. I'll I'll keep this uh, sensibly brief, uh, hopefully informative. Um, And just a preface to this. We were just talking about crying and and tears and crisis of confidence, too. So... um, Happy to talk about those uplifting subjects, of course. Um, <laughs> That's what we were talking about before we went live. Totally right. So we so we arrive we arrive at this. I arrive at this place um, after a really pleasant evening uh, drinking in the Spring Street Lounge in uh, New York City. Uh, one Easter two decades ago, and that's where I met my now wife. And. Um, I was visiting from London, where actually I practiced law. That's my my English career is as a uh, an attorney, and um, so I practiced law for maybe fifteen years. Um, Way too fun to be an attorney, but anyway, keep going. That's what I thought, and that's also what the senior partner thought because at one appraisal, <laughs> annual appraisal, he said to me, um, speaking about hard conversations, he said to me, um, "Yes, all these things you've been doing are great." except you need to do more billable hours. So what about we focus on that next year? And I thought, what about I focus on getting a different job? And <laughs> I wonder what happened. Um, but but then I met uh, my wife. So uh, anyway, so uh, moved here, um, became a, a branding consultant. But uh, at some point in my tenure, and I've been in Omaha, Nebraska, for about 16, 15, 16 years. Wow. After a period of time, I really... It was, um, you know, the local sports team, um, children, and what high school you went to. And and to be honest with you, I, I just found the conversation to be um, pleasant, but but you always hit this wall after an inch. And mm. I wanted to go deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started on my business lunches talking to people about sex, politics, religion. Um, awesome. <laughs> you are a popular guy. You know, so pretty quickly, some people dropped away, but though other people came to, um, they, they told me they came to relish those engagements. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, that was the seed that began this idea that there was a noticeable lack of conversational engagement here. And mm-hmm. that then sparked Squish Talks. I'm going to stop talking now, Tracy. Why? Well, just because it just gets boring. People just rabbiting on and on. And um so uh, I think I should ask you a question uh, as well. Uh, what was it that sparked your interest in? Oh, you're interviewing. I'm the listener. Oh, in heartache. Let's mm. go back to the tears. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it was really gun violence and injustice in the United States. Um, but I also am really allergic to dogma. Even mm. li- even dogma that I might subscribe to sometimes makes me allergic. And I felt like when I was living in the Bay Area, there was a lot of um, performative, think PC, liberal, this is the way the world should be. And even that just felt kind of blindly privileged and weird. And I just thought, screw that. I'm going to go sit on the sidewalk and listen to people, see what people actually have to say. I don't want to, I don't want to participate in all that stuff, pretending like I know what's going on. I'm just going to go sit down somewhere and listen to people. So it's interesting to me then, um, maybe if I, if I share the, the, the route that I took in mm. terms of 
encouraging and nurturing a culture of conversational engagement and then maybe ask you the same question about what was it that took you to the sidewalk um for for me it, it seemed that locally people it's less about the technique people didn't really seem to embrace an art of conversation and so i wanted to create some kind of um product so i could sell it and maintain a lifestyle but also create some sort of programming and form of experience where people could explore what their art of conversation was hmm. and and for me that took the form of inviting people through through different sort of techniques and exercises and activities to to explore what curiosity meant for them what silence and listening meant hmm. um what uh, empathy looked like what what embracing and allowing charms and serendipity into their lives men and also what courage men in terms of mm. difficulty and vulnerability mm-hmm. and and creating that sort of you know in practical terms it looked like a workshop or some kind of um organizational experience or engagement of of some sort and so that's the sort of thing that I developed primarily as part of squish talks um and then i try to take it into organizations and non-profits and some community spaces that sort of thing um so what was it that took you to as it were the sidewalk i think the spontaneity piece that you just brought up i also was really conscious that we were you know when you when you're in a commuter car like i love being on the subway i could just spend all day on the subway I think, and people think I am nuts. They think it's crazy. I love it. I love all the different kinds of people. And I love that we're sharing the same space, even though, and then I sit there and I look at people and I'm like, hmm, let's make up a story about what their life is like. I just, I just love it. I'm one of the weird people that's not looking at their phone on the subway. I'm looking at you in the eye and I hold your eye contact a little too long. And then people start going, this girl's really creepy. So there's something about my love affair with those public spaces and wondering all the time about what's behind those eyes, what's really happening inside that person. And then I've had enough experiences on commuter trains where someone would actually take a risk and share something about themselves. And I would get off that train and be like, I feel so electrified and alive from having this risky moment with this stranger. I want more of that. Now, I don't think that that was as intentional but I know that I like these surprise encounters. It just really makes me come alive. And that's why I was tickled that you were willing to be so spontaneous because we had some typical flakiness coming from me and scheduling this call. And you're like, yeah, let's do it anyway. I don't know what's going on. Let's make it happen. Because I, I find it very enlivening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have had a, I'm constantly evolving and exploring this question for myself. Like, Tracy, what are the deeper whys? So now I'm going to get serious and not so playful. Um, I think that there is a deep sense of not belonging that I experience in my own life that goes beyond my own personal psychology. It's easy to sort of root that back to my own family system, but I I know that it's bigger than my family system. And as I've become more and more um, educated or informed, I'm not educated yet, I'm informed, I will be educated um, about sort of ancestral healing and our connection to our bodies and our connection to the land, I realized there was an intuitive pull to be sitting out of doors on the land, that there was an intuitive pull to be sitting, which is an act of embodiment, 
And there was an intuitive pull to be listening for and recognizing that there is an ancestral connection to us all and that I was putting a stake in the ground saying, I've, I've got to remember that. And that's a newer awareness for me. That's a newer awareness for me. And that I believe we're lonely, divided, and disconnected because fundamentally every aspect of how we're living our life has completely divorced us from the most compelling and organic aspects that make us healthy, happy, loving human beings. And that's a connection to our body, to the earth, to each other and our ancestors. That was a mouthful. To follow on that and build on that, um, I'd love to do something like this again. I just haven't kind of worked out the time. or And, and now there's a pandemic, of course, so that, that's... But uh, a few years ago, actually it was five years ago, um, inspired by Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie, um, I had this belief in the power of conversation to connect. And so I wanted to put that to the test. So I, I rented an RV and I drove about 2,000 miles around Nebraska. And I just stopped in small towns um, and I just set up with a couple of chairs and a table and a sign that said, hello, please sit and talk with me. And then just sat and waited for people. Um, and then, you know, I, I found that sometimes it, it was important for me to actually put myself in a space and, and encounter people. And it, it not only affirmed my belief that conversation does have a power to connect people, but it also it also affirmed my sense that people have a desperate and deep and profound yearning to be seen by other people. And that transcended the fact that clearly I was sort of, um, you know, an effete cosmopolitan that wasn't even from here, um, that I was, uh, when we got deep, that I was an atheist, and this is a very religious part of the country, um, that I'm uh, extremely progressive and liberal and... Uh, th this is a, a red state outside of Omaha. Um, but there was an encountering that was open uh, to that. And I, I feel like that, that experience reflects, I think, the sense that you're expressing this intuition about encountering people. Yeah. Can I go back to the tears again? Let's for those that are that. just joining, for those that are just joining us, the way that Stuart and I started talking before we went live is we talked about crying, <laughs> and then we were goofing off, and then went back to talking about crying. So we're going to talk about crying and maybe be goofy. Look, this is a hard, this is vulnerable. What I'm going to ask, and I'll join you in the vulnerability. So I'm not going to leave you like a cat out on the very tip of that tree branch, and the tree branch is ready to break. I'll. I've got the ladder, okay? I'm leaning, I'm leaning in for this one, Trina. Okay, you're leaning in. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I both confided that, that we wondered about this work mm. after the last presidential election to see how divided we were and to see that people would vote against the interests of connection or the against the interest of safety or against the interest of equality or against the interest of well-being. And I shared with you that I spent a week crying. I was a wreck. You said to me, you had to go out in the woods and you were a mess. Where are you now? Not crying. 
mm-hmm. um, not as angry and not as um, completely bemused, just ragefully bemused at that point in time and disbelieving in the power of conversation to bridge what I perceived as a world of truth and reality and a world of fiction and, um, you know, falsehoods. I didn't see how conversation could be a, the tool that I thought it was and the, the, the magic that could bridge those two things. But actually, um, uh, I, I've come to believe, uh, I've, I've come back to my belief that that isn't necessarily the most important thing. Um, for example, I, I've never thought that conversation is meant to share a truth with someone else. It's, it's to share your truth and to help someone else reveal their truth to you. It's not about correcting something. It's about um, connecting something. Um, and I've also come to think, if not conversation, then what? Um, so yes, I, I can I can go on a diatribe with you about um, media ecosystems and um, you know the um, iniquity of social media and so on and so forth, and all of, all of these things, are, uh, uh, elements of this that we should be talking about. But for our purposes. The work I'm doing is around conversation to connect people. And I, I despite being uh, sort of bludgeoned by the election, I still, I've come back to the belief that it has the power that I think it does. Mm. How are you finding your feet underneath you then? So as you are recuperating, as you're recovering, um, there have been some very specific things that are helping me. What are the things that are helping you? sort of recover from this election and regain your belief in the power of conversation to do something? Mm. One or two specific practical things. Um, So just some community work and some client work that is really specific. Um, Talking with um, uh, groups, small teams from organizations that are looking to do um, holiday pixel parties um, because people aren't getting together physically. So, like Zoom that, parties, exactly. Okay. Um, and 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 finding that that's a very practical mechanism um, and forum in, in which I can use the power of conversation to to help people kind of form these connections, and that's making me feel better about myself um, because it's not necessarily about me. Um, but then also being a participant in in those online uh, those online uh, places as well. Um, the other thing I've been doing a lot of, and even more so the last few weeks, is being out in nature. And the uh, early in the morning, with it being the winter, the sky is a little clearer. And just finding other people who are out pre-dawn, walking mm. around. And who were giddy with excitement at how phenomenal the moon is, mm. and how stark Venus is rising on the opposite horizon, and you know Orion's belt, and Orion's just like zooming across the the edge of the horizon, 
And it's just this sort of giddy joy that we're out there and they can shout greetings to me and I can shout greetings back to them and, and engage in small conversation. Um, and I don't need to know at this point, which way did you vote? I just need to know as another human being that's awed by you know, the majesty of this. Just, mm. Those are just a few things. Uh, I mean, there are more, but those are a few. Mm. What about you? Mm. Yeah, I was sharing with them. Um, we do a social justice listening circle um, now led by a couple other volunteers here. I was sharing that for me, I actually felt compelled to connect with folks that were much, much older than me in their 70s and 80s that have lived through these kinds of things before. And that was very soothing for me because um, they weren't freaked out. They said, history is long and you, my friend, haven't seen hard stuff, right? And um, that was very resilience boosting for me to spend some time with some folks that, and, and it made me also feel really compelled to want to do more of that. So I hope I get a chance to. Um, I did actually have to make the space to cry. I, I actually had to really let just, just go at it. I think I, I caught myself doing this thing where I was doing that usual spiritual bypassing crap where I'm going to go meditate on a cloud and positive think and rah, rah, rah. You know, all those things that a good white person has the privilege to do because we're not losing our jobs and we're not like picking corn in the fields and getting COVID. Um, and then something, I, I can't remember the moment, but I broke and oh, I wish I, there, there was something that happened. There was a particular thing that happened. I wish I could remember what it was, but I said to my husband, I'm going to be a mess all day. And I actually canceled my therapy clients that day. So I'm going to be not effective. I just need the space to to feel all the layers of this grief and let it be okay and not spend a whole heck of a lot of time analyzing it because I'd like to do that too. It's a real, it's a real. Uh, it must be a risk given your profession. So Yeah. It's like the best way to not feel feelings is to analyze the poop out of them, you know? So I just decided to feel it and then come back to center and ask myself, okay, what would effective action be for me? Because I can't do all the things. And I have to also listen to, you know, if, for example, social justice is important, then I have to find who are my teachers that are not white because all of the folks aren't. I mean, it's like just because somebody's got a lot of social media followers and everybody else likes them doesn't mean they're your teacher. So then I went on a hunt. Who are my teachers? And started to get clear on I've got to make some commitment to, commitment to some effective action. And that helped me because I needed to feel agency. I needed to feel some small modicum of agency, right? So I knew I had to commit to a meditation practice. I can be flaky about it. Um, and I knew I had to reinvest in Sidewalk Talk and this workshop, listening across differences. And so coincidentally, I taught the workshop for an international NGO of expat women living in Europe. And it got rave reviews. And I said, I think I meant to give this one again. I think I got to do this one again. Is there something from this year, which has been a trying year in many ways, is there something that you think, oh, this is an experience or a practice that has been good that I'm going to carry forward? I'm going to leverage this or carry it forward into 2021? Because of this year? Because, see, it's hard to ask me that question 
You want to know why? Because so much about my life changed irrespective mm-hmm. of COVID. Right. right. So I moved to a different country. I now work out of my home, whereas previously I had an hour commute every day. That's been the biggest, if there's one lasting impact on my life, I may choose to work from home and or closer to home because not having a commute anymore has altered my well-being in a massive way. Mm. That's interesting. So many of us now you know, uh, uh, that the have the privilege, my wife does not have this option, but I have the option of working from home. And um, it's great and, and terrible uh, simultaneously. Um, I, I think the practice that, or the experience that has been outside of the home that has been really valuable is an intensification across the world, I think, towards local. And I, I'm really aware, and I keep looking this way because there's a window here and this is my neighborhood. My neighborhood's right here. And I know that I'm much more aware, but I'm also aware that everybody else that's just in this one block radius is also very much more aware about what is happening and who is happening right here. Mm. And we've been forced into that through mm. isolation and so on and so forth. But but that has been a um, small thing, a holiday card. I'm just pointing at his home. You can't see this, but right there is a chap called Bob. And I didn't know Bob before this year, but I do now. And Bob's going to get a holiday card from me. So, so you know but your I, neighbors. Much you better. Know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, there was this great conversation with um, uh, David Brooks's organization that I attended, which was another way that I took care of myself. I'm like, I just need to talk to these folks that are still believing in the power of dialogue. And uh, one of the women, I can't remember her name, Shailen, um, who just just wrote a book, um, talked about the importance of those closer to home connections. And she told this great story that I'll share relative to Bob, Bob sorry, relative to Bob, Bob, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> if you have a person in your neighborhood, for example, that typically sits in their front yard or that sits with their garage door open, it changes the entire landscape of the neighborhood. And that sometimes connection doesn't take a whole heck of a lot. It's these small gestures in your own neighborhood. Oh, and you know what? Can we be creative? I'm just super excited by your chair and tables idea. When you said, I'm like, oh, I bet Stuart would do this with me. And plus you did that big, huge community conversation in Nebraska. See, I did my homework on you before. Even though I was flaky at sending you a link, I did read about you. Um, I want to have a coming out party after more of us are out of quarantine. And I want to see if I can get as many people around the world as possible, no matter where you are, to put two chairs out front of their house. And just say, have a cup, have a cup of tea with me. Let's hang out. Let's re let's reconnect. And I love the idea of doing that in your own neighborhood because I do back to this. It's power to the people, man. We got to bring it back to the people and start really connecting with these people that are around us that we're rushing off to a job and sort of treating like furniture, you know? Oh, that's good for us. You're in? Oh, yeah. Let's see how many people. There's all these different connection projects. Let's just see. And you get a neighborhood and say, pass out this flyer to everyone on this day at this time. Everyone put table and chairs and we'll just go around, hop around from, from, house to house or it's just, I don't know how to organize it, but we'll figure it out. What, what about, um, what about that's just a challenge that we can leave here with um, listeners. 
But, uh, yeah, they can figure um, it out. Yeah, but um, you know, are they in? Are they not? There's, um, I can see, I can see a little icon down here, sidewalk talk, uh, and and so if anybody's in on that, they they can connect with sidewalk talk and uh, say, I'm in. Two chairs, a sign for coming out. <laughs> talk with me. You're you're brilliant at this, I can tell. So, I can I I want to pick your brain a little bit. Oh, we've already. By the way, this person that this is Harry. Meet Harry. Hold on, I'll bring his comment up. Oh, I just pushed it too fast. Harry is one of our listeners in Minnesota, and he's part of our social justice listening circle. And the two of you would get along like peas in a pod. Outside of my neighborhood and community. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to isolate himself within his comfortable bubbles. I think that's cool, Harry. So you might just put your table and chairs out in another neighborhood. I love that idea. One thing that I've wanted to do in Omaha, and I don't know if it applies to Harry's location, um, but is, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but, but it was a realization to me when I first moved to Omaha, just how segregated uh, the mm. communities are. And I thought, what what better way to learn about that, expose my own vulnerabilities and just bridge those divides, but do exactly this, go and sit in those communities um, that aren't mine and, uh, you know, just encounter people and, and, and be encountered. Um, so, yeah, that's what kind of what you did. We and I think that's an underpinning of sidewalk talk as well. I think the trick is always to. I've learned along the way to be mindful of my privilege, right? To to figure out a way to be invited in. Um, so that's been interesting. But Harry, just so you know, the reason why I was thinking close to home is because I'm also living in an elderly neighborhood. So for me, these elderly folks, and I, as you'd heard me say, I'm called to to, to sort of spend some more time with um, these wise sages that have lived more life than me. I know that they wouldn't be able to go into the city. And so I wouldn't meet them unless I came to their neighborhood, you know? So um, we're getting ready to do this workshop on Sunday. It's been really fun for me because I already have a the workshop design, but I'm going to change it after talking to all these brilliant folks I've spoken to all week. We had a great conversation with um, Christina Eskridge from Elevate Theater. And she's an amazing African-American um health rights educator that combines theater and uh, public health. And one of the things that she said, you got to remember to use, you got to remember to include humor. I said, wow, that's right. She goes, it, it does create bridges, not the kind of humor to avoid. I'm curious, how are you finding ways to engage in dialogue politically? Mm. What have you, or what mistakes have you made that you've learned from that have helped you improve? I mean, for me, I don't engage on social media about politics anymore. <laughs> it's pointless. So, I, 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 for me, I found that unless I'm in person with someone, that it's pointless engaging in a conversation about politics because part of it's practical and part of it's philosophical. Philosophically, I, I just feel like the medium, the forum of something that's virtual is not helpful uh, for um, nuance and textured and layered and long engagement. Um, 
And then practically, I just can't type that fast. And so the amount that I want to say, I, I, I can't type that fast. So it really needs to be just me and someone else sitting. I also um, know that there's plenty of data around this, that people are much more um, moderate and uh, they hold more to human values. Um, even if they're as simple as courtesy and listening um, and responding to someone other's distress, um, if they're in person. Mm. And all of that seems to go out the window if we go to virtual. So anyway, I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science, but I, I feel like politics is best reserved for something in person. Uh, so that's uh, uh, just a small lesson. Um, and the other, the other thing is I think it's incredibly hard, and I, I think I'm failing at this. So let me just be clear about my failure, which is um, I, I am struggling to uh, – let my own beliefs go or stop them getting in the way of me listening to someone else. And that's work that I need to keep doing. Um, so that's that's a failure on my part. And I know it objectively, I just can't get out of the way of my own emotions. Yeah. And so in those moments, do you stop the conversation? Because I go there too, and I'm guilty of uh, Kern Berry, another person that you would really enjoy, um, runs the Difficult Conversations Project, was saying, what was the word he used? I think sometimes I can be secretly manipulating someone with my empathy. Let's see if I can empathize enough to get you to believe things my way. And he's like, people sniff that out. You really got to truly let go of any agenda. And I'm practicing that a lot right now. I'm practicing that. And I'm n noticing I had, I did have a, an exchange this week. Half my s social media feed, everyone that I went to high school with, maybe 90% are Republican. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a Republican for those of you that are watching. And um, a classmate of mine, I just felt compelled to comment when I'm, my friends are saying, please stop doing that, Tracy. It's a waste of your time. You have better things to do. But I did feel compelled to comment. And I learned that by just saying how, I just asked this question, how would you suggest we solve this problem? And just leave it at that. And it actually led to some really constructive conversation. Like, well, we, we agree that there's a problem. So what would the, con if you were in charge, how would you solve the problem? And then I get to really, and, and in one case, I said to the, to the woman, I said, hey, I really appreciate you because she had been attacking me. And I said, hey, I'm so not here to debate. I said, I genuinely don't agree, um, but I don't, but I'm, I genuinely want to hear your point of view and you get to disagree with me too. And I'm totally down with that, but I don't want to do the whole name calling thing. And so then she said, well, this is how I would solve it. I said, I can get on board with every single one of your ideas. They all make complete sense to me. And so the fact that we didn't know that because we were too busy spending time being defensive and name calling. And she and I both, even she was like shocked. She goes, wow, this was really interesting. I said, yeah, really interesting. So I think that's the power then of trying to find the other person and not talking about uh, tribes as an identity, but finding them as a real human, acknowledging them as a real human, and then talking about matters of substance as opposed to matters of identity. 
Mm-hmm. And not that those are bad conversations. Obviously, there's a place for that kind of conversation too. But yes, when it comes to politics, uh, substance, not not person. I also was talking to a, a friend because, you know, in Sidewalk Talk, we've primarily been doing one-sided listening where we sit and we offer listening. We're not going to enter into the dialogue. And, and this is going to be the first time where I'm teaching a dialogue course. And I've gotten some pushback from folks and I push back on them. <laughs> I had quite an argument with an English bloke, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, Ivy League kind of person. Um, who felt that you couldn't have one-sided dialogue. And I said, well, there's something different that I'm aware of, which is my privilege when I'm sitting out there and that I am specifically not centering myself and practicing not centering myself. And I also can get on board with where you're coming from, but you're not understanding the project. I do think that I am open more to setting aside my beliefs if I've come to some dialogue agreement with the person before we get started that I'm going to hear you and you're going to hear me. And when we've made that a commitment up front, then I have all the time and I can be as patient because I they've committed to hearing me out. So I can listen because I they're going to listen to me too. And I realize that that's an important component. Completely agree. And I also think that silence itself is dialogue. And mm. so the idea of one-way dialogue not working, I, I, I'm not Yes, you take my side. Oh, thank you, Stuart. I give, give you a fist bump on the, on the screen there. I, uh, going back to humor, um, uh, humor I've found to be powerful, uh, also dangerous. Um, I think it's a way for people to maybe return to a center that is more um, – uh, lower stakes than escalating the, the the emotions to our higher stakes. Um, I'm certainly not too uh, lacking in courage to be self-deprecating at my own expense. Uh, sometimes, often, not all the time. Um, and also sometimes, using often, not all the time. Yeah, sometimes, you know, often, not all the time. Okay, I'm just trying to follow that, Stuart. <laughs> what, yeah. What that was was a random journey through my thinking that occurred. <laughs> your inner monologue okay. at large. <laughs> yes, uh, it was like one and one equals four, but no, minus two means. Yeah, that, that was my head. If you could make sense of that, that'd be great. Tell me, I, I have no idea. I just thought it was very cute and endearing. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a humor again, right? Um, my my in, in, incompetence in, in saying what I'm thinking, but it's quite funny. Hmm. Yeah. Let's go with that because it may not be true, but I prefer that version. I, I, I think that there is a way. I think that it can be structured. And what I hope to do is teach people how to use humor appropriately. And, and I think the self-deprecation part has got to be part of it. It can't be making fun of the other person. It's kind of got to be teasing yourself a little bit, which then disarms everyone and cools everyone's jets. Like, you remember that movie Inside Out? Mm-hmm. I, ju- I just was talking to a friend of mine. She has Inside Out um, Christmas tree ornaments from the little guys. And I love that little angry guy with the fire on his head. Mm. He's just hilarious. You know? Do, do you know what I'm talking? Did you see said movie? Uh, I, I it's a cartoon did movie. See it, but I don't remember this person. You must go see this movie again. Okay. It'll make you feel better. Uh, well, I think it will in this dystopian time that we're in. 
the fire guy, I think, is a sort of self-deprecating way to make fun of how hot under the collar we get in these political conversations. I mean, he looks like a maniac, in the, but a cute one. So I was thinking that we might do some preparation for naming our parts, <laughs> our parts yeah. of self. You know, my husband has a name for, for my, my inner jerk. And so when she comes out, he just says, oh, you're the birthday cake girl again. I'm like, I am the birthday cake girl again. Um, I am, um, don't ask me where we landed on this, but I am a crusty old bit of bread. You're a crusty old bit of bread. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that what your wife and your wife came up with that? Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I don't, I don't quite have the backstory to that, but um, anyway, it seems quite That's applicable. Very cute. It's very cute. Well, this has been really a fun, playful dialogue. And does anyone have any questions that you want to ask Stuart? And Stuart, what's next for you? Like, where, what? How are you realigning yourself now that we're, you're not necessarily outdoors? Um, how are there new ways that you're going to take squish talks and how you're going to work with folks considering the election? Question that I've asked myself often is um, can curiosity be taught? Mm. And I, I don't know if it is something that can be taught, but I, I think that everybody is born with it. And so what happens to it? And so I think it's actually more a case of rediscovering and re-energizing our innate sense of curiosity. And the reason why I think goes back to what you shared earlier in asking your dialogue partner, how would we solve that? And I don't think we ask enough genuine, authentic, I actually want to hear your answer kind of questions of, of other people, of the world, of ourselves. And so I'm really focused on curiosity. And so I'm, I'm doing some workshops with a, a, a friend and business partner, Dan, Dan Gilbert, and um, they're all about imagining questions only. Uh, we're not looking for solutions or answers. Just what are better questions? So mm. That's where my focus is the next, I think, you know, few months. I love that. You just really imprinted me with some ideas. That's really cool. I hope that I get to have a big party with all the people that I got to meet with this week. This is great. I'm so happy to have finally had this FaceTime with you. It's just been really enlivening and good for my heart. So you thank you for that. I echo, echo said sentiments. Thank you. That's great. Um, two other, see, I'm going to just show you this software. See, when someone gives, does a comment, I can just pop it up onto the screen. I'm selling, I'm selling Stuart the software. And then Harry responded again. <laughs> I thought I'd seen Inside Out, but I, I think I might be confusing it with a different movie. Um, it's cartoons um, from Pixar. Okay. Yeah. And it's about the, 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 the girl with the blue hair and her name is Joy and she is Joy, but she's kind of, oh. she kind of represents like American hyper, you yeah. know, positivity. And she shames sadness and she shames disgust and she shames, you know, anger. I have seen it. I do remember. There's like four core characters, I think. In, mm -hmm. in Yeah. And, yeah. and Bing Bong. Can't forget Bing Bong. Yeah. Lovely to spend this time with you. And I think we're going to have some, some more time together coming up here soon. Yeah. Wish us, wish us luck on Sunday. I hope that lots of people turn out. It's our sidewalk talk fundraiser. So everyone tell your friends and, um, Thanks for the work you do in the world. Thanks for what you do. You're the best. You're the best.
<laughs> right. And I feel, I feel everybody. <laughs> All right. Take good care. I will. You too. Bye, Tracy. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.